I am here with Jill Coleridge of Rogers Coleridge and White Literary Agency in London at the Book Fair. Welcome to this microphone. Thank you. Welcome. <laughs> you were on the panel at a session this morning and surrounded by very, very high-powered publishers and booksellers. booksellers. And uh, you were the, uh, the island of the voice of the literary, uh, the artist. Is that how you see yourself? Well, certainly, yes. I mean, I, um, I work with, I work for the writer. That's my calling. That's what I do as an agent for writers. And in the, in the discussion this morning, which was looking at the future of publishing, I was interested that um, an awful lot of talk was given to book selling and publishing. And uh, I had to tweak it occasionally to get it back to look at the actual writer or the creative originator without whom none of them would have a business. Yeah, that is such an interesting dilemma or dimension mm. of this publishing field. The demands of making money versus the expression of truly original voices uh, and the tension that always exists between those two. Mm. Well, it is. It's true. There is always a tension, and yet it's a curious relationship. And as an agent for a writer, one's job is to broker that relationship um, in a perfect world you take, I take a writer I might represent to a publisher with whom I hope they will have a long-lasting both friendship and very successful relationship. However, they both want similar things out of that relationship and one's job also is to ensure that there's an equal balance because at the end of the day the publisher needs to make money out of my authors and I want my authors to make money out of the publisher and there's only one cake and at the moment there are a lot of people wanting larger slices of that cake um, and what we were talking about this morning as obviously you heard was the increasing pressure on the bookshops in Britain where last Christmas we saw the biggest chains Waterstones for instance selling at half price a book like Alan Bennett's book which didn't need to be sold at half price it was only 20 pounds anyway and Waterstones took upon themselves to slash the price by 50 percent which thinking that they would generate more revenue by the additional No, uh, I think the reason for doing it was an Alan Giles, who's the CEO of Waterstones, leaving next year, as he's announced publicly. But as he said this morning, they did it to create footfall. They mm. did it for market share. And so a lost leader then? It was a lost leader. And although people talk about the volume of books and the sales going up over Christmas, that was great. But actually, when you look at the, the figures now released on the profit margin, it was nil. It was no impact. Yeah, I think he mentioned that, didn't yeah, he? So the sales were up 13, 13, and the actual well, the value was... 0.4%. So right. what we're faced with in England at the moment is a very high competitive street between all strands of physical bookstores, and that is particularly inflamed by the a rapid increase of the demands of the supermarkets, who are now selling certain types of books in very large volumes. Well, uh, bestsellers then. So yes, yes. Crop, they right? can make a book a bestseller. Mm -hmm. So you've now suddenly got the, the high street stores who are paying much higher rents, who are dedicated solely to books. I mean, high street would be the big box stores over in Canada? Yes, yes, they would about? be. I mean, what you'd get in the shopping malls, those yeah. sorts of things. You okay. know, Ma Main Street 
you know, when when people go to shopping centres, they would be the dedicated bookstores, yeah, the Barnes and Nobles, the you know that's chapters. Unfortunately, about the only one we got in Canada. It is a chapter. No, I know because yeah. when I was last there. But in in, in England, um, we've got Borders and Books etc. and Oticas and Waterstones, and they're they're in very direct head-on competition. But this, in terms of the authors that you represent, you don't mind all these companies squabbling over who's going to sell uh, the books. I mean, the author just cares. Uh, that they uh, they're getting a nice paycheck and uh, they can concentrate mm. on what they love to do. Yes, that's true. But you see, what these booksellers who are scrabbling for market share are asking publishers for are higher and deeper discounts. And so therefore, the author can very often get paid less as a result because usually an author gets paid a royalty based on the retail price of the book or the recommended retail price. For instance, let's say a £10 book, an author would very generally get a 10% royalty. I mean, royalties vary hugely, but that's Depending on the name of the author. Yeah, and, and the book and, and whether it's a hardback or paperback. But just for the purposes of this, it, you know, a £10 book, the author might get a pound. But the publisher is selling it in to the bookstores now at discounts which are way over 50%. I mean, they all deny this, but I mean, in fact, they're often well over 50%. And most publishers insist, and we as agents have had to accept, that if they are selling at higher discounts, the royalty that they pay the author drops. So instead of a 10% royalty, the author might get a four-fifths of that, so they might only get 8%. So if you carry that through and you apply it to paperbacks, and you've got deep discounts going in on paperbacks, the author's take gets lower. The higher the discount, the less the author gets. Now, the publisher will say, well, the less they get, too. But as I'm going back to this thing, you know, there's only one cake and everybody's after their bigger share of it. So, you know, on the face of it, you think, well, who is getting this discount? Who is get benefiting? And it's the stores. You know, if they, they get want... a lower price, they, they, yeah. they keep the difference, Absolutely. obviously. Absolutely. Yeah. And therefore, if they're only having to pay £4 for a book which they can retail at, at £10, you know, they, they've got a bit of money to play with. Now, they will all deny that. I mean, they'll mm. all say that they're squeezed and their margins are squeezed. Mm. But the fact is there are a lot of people now who want a piece of this particular cake. And my job as an agent is to try and make sure that my author's share does not diminish. Well, the other thing, too, is that this extra money used to land up in the pockets of the publishers who could then theoretically experiment with authors that may not be coming out with stuff that they know is palatable to the mainstream. Tesco's and all these other supermarket type companies. I, I sort of uh, got that from... They, uh, don't, they don't care in the sense that Tesco's are not going to, out of some philanthropic gesture, start buying a first novel, unless they're pretty certain people are going to want to buy it. The other thing that we're now getting in, in the UK, which the Americas had for a while, is a big television show which can flag up books, and that's mm. shown to have an extraordinarily positive effect mm. on book sales. Well, look at uh, Brokeback Mountain. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we've all had books, oh, well, not all, but most of us have had books on the Richard and Judy show in London, and it can make... That's like your Oprah. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. And that can make a book sell what might have sold 30,000 copies. It can make it sell 300,000. Mm -hmm. So if a book sells 30,000 copies, in Canada, 5,000 is considered a bestseller. Yeah. What, what's it considered here? Of a hardback, 30,000 would be a very good sale, really, of a hardback, probably. Um, I'm talking paperback figures when I say 30,000 to 300,000. All right. 30,000 in the current market in right. England is good. It depends what you're, you know, if you're dealing with fiction, obviously. Mm. And if you're dealing with genre fiction, you're always aiming for something higher, but 30,000 is pretty respectable. Uh, can we get to a bit more specific, then? We're talking about squabbling over this pie and uh, getting money from it, but 
Are you a gatekeeper then of <laughs> the public's taste as well, in the sense that you would have your readers, just the way a publisher might, you would have your readers read manuscripts that would be submitted mm -hmm. to you and mm -hmm. you choose... Mm -hmm. Absolutely, but I don't have readers, I do it myself. In the agency that I, I co-run... How big is it? We have half a dozen primary agents, which is what I would describe myself as. This agency was founded about 20 years ago when I joined the two women who already ran it, and we've now expanded, so we have about six agents there, and we all take on authors that we individually rate, like... Like their writing. And then you champion them and because we you champion them. believe in them. Right? Yes, Obviously. and that's the that's what it's all about, really. Mm. So yes, we're certainly a gatekeeper, and I was interested to hear that the um, uh, chairman of Faber's saying mm. this morning that they very rarely now even look at manuscripts that are sent to them directly; that well, they practically only look at stuff coming in from agents. Which is what uh, is, that's music to your ears. Well, no, it's not music to my ears I, I, so much as it, it doesn't actually surprise me, I suppose, because, um, you know, I know the volume that comes even into our relatively small agency, and, and it is phenomenal mm -hmm, in that. Mm -hmm. I mean, er, well, everyone's a writer now. There's more writers than readers, it seems. Absolutely. Well, there are certainly a lot of writers, and it takes a, you know, somebody's got to spend a lot of time looking at these things. Mm. But going back to how we choose, I've actually in the last 10 years only taken on one thing that came in completely out of the cold to us. And it's not yet been published, it's been published um, this year. It's a, I think, brilliant first novel. Okay, who is it? Who's the next hot? Uh, <laughs> who should we rush out and he's get a He's a man, he's a musician. Um, okay. He's a musician called Jim Younger and he's 52 and it's a novel called High John the Conqueror. And Jonathan Cape, one of the foremost literary publishing houses in the UK is doing it this summer. Hi, John. The, the Conqueror. The Conqueror. What is it about? Is it funny? Yeah, it's funny. It's a very wonderful Ridley Scott-type satire, right. as though England has been subsumed into a, an anarchic American empire. It's very funny, very droll. So if I get a signed, limited first edition of that, then it's going to skyrocket in value. I doubt it. I doubt okay. it. It's a tougher world. And that's exactly a very good example of how do you make a book like that work, because Waterstones will probably not take many copies. So, you know, it's word of mouth and people believing in it. Well, that's why I, I contend that uh, the role of uh, people like me is going to assume even more yes, importance. Um, uh, absolutely. Yeah. It does. I mean, g getting people aware, making a mm. reader aware of what's published, and I, one of the things I said this morning, and I know it's not unique to the UK, is the fact that the bookstores have the same bestsellers I mean you know and so there's mm. a, a very narrow focus on the on the choice available to many readers well and and again uh, the, the point's been made in Canada too I believe that the number of titles in the big box high street uh, store that we have chapters is I, I don't know exactly what it is but it's gone down quite significantly even just in the last mm. five ten years it's gone from you know 350,000 to 150,000 yes. so the choice is just being limited. But that's true. That happens, and that's happened in the UK, and I know it happens in the States. It's very similar. I mean, I, I have to say I have some sympathy for booksellers because the amount of titles being published every year, you know, absolutely continues to increase almost <laughs> uh, standardly. And everybody mm. says they publish too many books, and publishers this morning will all say everybody publishes too many books, mm. but they go on doing it. Mm -hmm. Well, but they must be making some money somewhere. Oh, their publishers have always complained ever since I've... I mean, I worked in publishing before I became an agent, and publishers complained then, and they've always complained um, about the business. Who else do you have uh, in your stable? 
Anyone we would know? Well, as agents, yes. I mean, we represent um, Ian McEwan, um, Peter, yeah, <laughs> Peter Carey, um, oh, Ishiguru. Um, Wait a sec. You've just got all these Booker winners in a small little agency. Yeah, of yeah. We've got, yes, we have a wonderful list. A very literary list uh, is one. Uh, that's one sort of big section. Mm. Many, many other wonderful writers like that. Jim Kelman, another Booker winner of mine. Yeah. And, and on and this show, we really only care about literature yes well yeah. we have a lot of very fine literary writers and then we, and we do all do some commercial ones too um, okay so why why are you so successful um, I think very largely this is because my partner Deborah Rogers who started the agency on her own as a sole trader back in I'm not quite sure the 70s early 70s mm. had a very unusual and uh, brilliant eye and she early on took on writers like McEwan and, and Ishiguru and she's represented Angela Carter and she represented them from their earliest days and and, and then that, reputation from there I guess right? yes and yeah, if you've got them and then so we have a lot of a lot of other younger writers who over the years have come to us because they want to be part of the fold and and it works because it means that my team who sell translation rights for our authors who as I speak to you are beavering away in the rights centers or three tables meeting endless foreign publishers mm. foreign publishers come to us because they want the new McEwans the new the new they, they know the sort of stable that the writers are coming from mm. so many of the literary writers that I have are with us because they want to be part of that who, who are the new who's the new McEwans who are they? Well, some very remarkable new... Is it the list of the... You know, I go to the Granta's 20 list. Yes, know, I think there are some... I mean, I, I but think... But you, you... I mean, I they get their ideas... I imagine they might look to you for... Yeah, I where, suppose so. No, they? no, they don't, personally. No, okay. I mean, they, they, they choose that. That's sort of media. That's media stuff, in a way. It's like, you know, who are the most 50 more most important yeah. people that was in publishing yesterday, which, I mean... Yeah, but still, though, I mean, you look at that list, the one in 1999 and the one in 2003, yeah. pretty prescient. Yes, so yes, it was. Can I you give us the, uh, the, new ones. the four or five of them that I need the to start collecting the, right the, now, the, um, signed the, and limited? The, the ones that you need to collect, yeah. I would have thought, would be Ali Smith. I think this woman Ali Smith. No, I know, but she's she's huge already. Okay. Oh, you mean you want? Are you? Want I, I want the that ones that are that, that are going to be big. That you know. They'll okay. There's a guy called Pete Hobbs who is published by Faber. No one will have heard of yet. Um, who is a wonderful short story writer. H O B B S. Yes. Who Deborah represents. There's a man called Adam Thurwell, who my colleague Peter Strauss represents. Mm. I'm not sure I'm going to go on more than those two. Uh, mm. I mean, I, there are, there's a young American who we've just taken on, we're selling now, called Phil LaMarche, who I think will be the new... I look after Richard Ford and Donna Tartt, uh, and, and I can see in this guy's writing something that we saw in those guys. Which one uh, blows you away? Does it this Jim Younger, or... Like, who do you think is, is going to be uh, in the canon? Of all of that lot, probably, um, I can't, no, I'm not going to pick. I'm not going to okay. pick. I'm sorry, you're just going to have to collect all the four. <laughs> okay. 
Okay. But as a literary agency, we do also uh, do a lot of very major non-fiction writers too. So we mm. have a lot of quality biographers, and I look after a lot of historians and things like that as well. Yeah, there was a beautiful biography done of Matisse. Was mm. it Matisse? Mm. Hilary ha- Sperling. Yeah, do you have? No, no, I mean, I know her. It's not, I yeah. don't represent it, no. But we, we had the, the Whitbread biography winner last year of the Orwell biography. That was one of mine. And we've, we, we who, who, who wrote that one? David Taylor. Wonderful yeah. biography of Orwell. Better yeah. than uh, Christopher Hitchens. Yeah. yeah. Although it's one of the few people that Hitchens actually admires, it seems. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, this was an admiring book, but uh, yeah. mm-hmm. but that's a difficult area now. Biography has to be very exceptional to be really work in sales terms. Successfully, yeah. Mm. I, I mean, those are the two areas that I love the most, is literary biography and the, the actual works themselves. Well, I look after a lot. I mean, Siegfried Sassoon, a wonderful biography of him, which has just been published by Farris Strauss in America and Picador, and then... Uh, I represent somebody writing a biography of um, Somerset Maugham, who did Evelyn War. I've done all the Mitfords, lots of the, yeah. the Mitford material, that sort of thing. I yeah. love all that. Yeah. Graham Robb, who wrote about Rambo and Victor Hugo and things. Yeah, so good stuff. But tough to sell, getting tougher to sell. Well, well I mean, we're, we're reading more than ever. You keep yeah, hearing that. Yes, so yes, they are. Just reading crap? People no, yeah, well, I think, pe- well, there's nothing wrong in people. There's, I'm very very firm about this. Books are books, you know. Who am I to say what's crap or not? Every, the great thing about this business is there's no such... When, who are you to, to say what's crap or exactly. not? Okay, but, I mean, people are reading. That's the, and they go. That's the whole raison d'etre for your success, that because because you are... Well, someone. I know what I think is crap, but I'm, I'm not going to be so... Um, patronizing is to say people say to me oh you know i only, only read this that and the other yeah and, and no it's taste but, but what i mean what i'm what i do think when i say it's hard to sell the biography now and the history i mean i don't mean it's hard to sell the publishers it's but it's hard for the publishers to sell it much harder and um sorry sell it to booksellers right quantities that are being taken are are diminishing though interestingly in the british press and i think this happens certainly in the american press a lot of review coverage is often given to these big non-fiction books. What you do then is you I take have a, I manuscripts. Take on an, I take on an author you, if you, I really like their work. Right. And but I so will work with them very often on their material before I go to a publisher with it. Right. So part of your time would be spent looking at new stuff. New projects from existing authors. New projects from existing what, authors. Everything that comes out of that, them, you would be responsible for trying to get published. Yeah, but if right? I don't think it's if I don't think it's good, I won't. Oh, is that right? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. you. I'm oh, gonna, you know. I mean, okay. oh yes. Oh yeah. yeah. Isn't that interesting? Well, I mean, you know, my. I thought they signed you. They signed sign you on. to basically do yeah, your but, job. But, but I'm going to do my job properly for them because if if a writer who I like working with and who I think is a good writer comes up with um, let's say about a non-fiction idea perhaps and I don't think it has enough merit or I think there are problems with it or whatever then um, one one discusses it I mean obviously they're going to get my input on it and if it's a novel and I think it's flawed or I, I think there are problems with it likewise now they don't have to agree with me but I'm not going to... Yeah, but can they take their particular book and say, okay, you're not going to really do that, then I'm going to take it to another literary they agent? Can. They can if they want to, yes. Though, and I that's mean, okay? We all, well, I mean, we all have contracts with our authors, but I'm never going to hold an author against his, wi- yeah. his will. No sensible author is going to want their agents saying to them, actually, I don't think this is awfully good, but if you insist, I'll send it out. Most of them are going to say, okay, well, can I make it better? So wait a minute. You are providing both the role of a marketer but also an editor. Yeah, you'd have to do much more editing now as agents because p- editors move around so much. 
And also, if I'm selling a non-fiction book, I'm generally trying to get a contract from a publisher to pay the author some money to write research and write it. So if you're going to want to write, let's say you want to write a biography of Monet or someone, and you say to your agent, I want to write a biography of Monet, you're going to need to write a proposal. Your agent is going to help you get that proposal as good as you possibly can because a good proposal is going to get you a better advance. And if it's necessary uh, to write a few sample pages or a chapter or two, depends on your status as a writer, whether you already have a track record. And only when I, as the agent, think, right, uh, we've got this between us into as good a shape as possible, am I going to go out and try and find you a contract? Because I need to know that I really believe in this mm -hmm. and that I can say to a publisher I respect and who I hope respects me, Yes, you, uh, should, you, don't, you should read this. Exactly, because you it's don't good. want to undermine your yeah. own reputation. You don't want to waste their time. Never. Yeah, I want them always to think anything that comes from me is something they should pay attention to. So really what you're doing is filtering out yeah. all sorts of stuff for stuff. editors. The greatest compliment an, that an agent can be paid is when an editor of some standing will say... If you send me something, I usually read it that night because mm. I know it must be good. Now that's what, as a good agent, you you aim to do. And you cherish you've that. Then, kind of feedback. You've then got to know what it is you're selling. You've got to know what it's worth. You've mm. got to be able to name the price, and you've got to be able to get a very good contract for your author. And it's not contracts are not just about money. They're about detail, being being aware of control. Control mm. issues that are coming up now. We talked a lot this morning about the the digitization, copyright control territorial stuff. I mean, this is all sounding rather boring and scientific, but it's absolutely the backbone of what I do as an agent, making sure that these aspects are well looked at. And, and the world is getting a more and more complicated place. I mean, it's mm. bizarre. You'd think that the internet would make everything much easier, but it's mm. making it more complicated. There's more technology. We've all got to be thoughtful about how we control the material. Yeah, exactly. There's, you, there's stuff coming out of left field in technology that you're just unaware of, but that's why copyright is so crucial. Copyright is crucial. And, and, and Are you going to be going to that thing in Montreal? There's a big, big world convention on copyright I coming out. I doubt that I'll go, yeah. but I'm, I'm aware it's happening. No, I mean, I, I so you're a wannabe editor then? No, 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 no. I don't. I don't want to be an editor at all, um, and I don't regard myself as having any qualifications to be an editor. I mean, I do what I do simply because I will give an author my opinion on something. And over the years, I suppose, of practice, one's got more confidence and one's also got better at, better at it, really. Although, although you know, you've, you've got your taste. I've got my taste, yeah. but I would expect uh, very often, not practically always, I would expect that even if I'm selling a novel, say you've written your first novel, my Jim Younger, when he when he wrote that first novel... My, my first novel's not going to actually be written until this summer, I don't think. Right, right, okay. in, well, case, in case you're interested. <laughs> well, the Jim Younger novel that came in off the slush pile, the one that we picked up... The slush pile? Yeah. What's that? The stuff uh, that slush pile is what, what everybody refers to as the unsolicited manuscripts, and he yeah. sent it out, and, and this young guy in our office started reading it and thought it was very funny, as I said, and uh, we made Jim do a lot of work on it mm. um, to get it. Where's Jim from? He was just a South London musician. Oh, okay. Well, actually, no, he works in, in, in the government department. He's really a civil servant. But we got it, him to make it as good as we reckoned it could be made. And then I sold it to a publisher who has done a lot of tweaking and fine. I mean, he's a very good editor, the mm -hmm. publisher to whom I sold it. So you do a bit of that. But an agent's role is quite broad, too. I mean, we're giving authors financial advice, tax advice... Alimony psychological advice. advice. Oh, psychological yeah. advice, you bet. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's very important for authors to always feel that they, they are your only client. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> they <laughs> Making like them feel special. They like to walk into the office and see <laughs> posters of really famous literary <laughs> prizes, uh, literary uh, people, and say to their 
uh, colleagues that you know friends that no I'm only joking yeah. and I mean you know one always it's only it only ever works if you do have a good relationship with your authors it's tough at times to be honest because you can't predict as an agent when you're going to be needed I mean you can to a certain extent but a crisis in a writer's life can happen at any day and yeah. uh, you want to be there for everybody and sometimes that's quite difficult I have to say it's a very pressured job yeah in my experience, just over the limited experience over the last six months, having interviewed uh, quite a variety of different authors, is I really love these people. Well, maybe I just haven't been subjected to the assholes out there yet, but typically people uh, that spend a lot of time writing and using their imagination, I find it delightful. Have you share that? Yes, I, I think this is a very dangerous thing to say, but I think it requires an, a, a strange balance of self-confidence for you or for the author no for the author I think it's a very tough thing to write books especially in England where they're out their knives are out I mean there are people uh, critics that make a living just, just oh, cutting people apart uh, absolutely I, I you know I start with admiration for anybody who can you know sit down and write a novel and so starting from that premise an author has to have I think a certain amount of self interest they, they need to be slightly selfish I'm not saying that my all my clients are selfish but they sort of need it because that is what's driving them, what's in their head, what their creative muse is sort of... But I wouldn't say, maybe not even selfishness, it's more confidence that the stuff that they're writing is better than most of the other stuff well, that's out Well, some there. authors are very, very good, but they have very little confidence. Uh. And again, one's role comes into that. And judgment. And, and then the worst thing that happens as an agent, there are many bad things that happen, but one of them is when you, I take on something which I think is really wonderful or I take on a new book by an author and I think it's really wonderful. And you, you know, people don't agree with me. You know, the publishers don't suddenly fall over themselves to buy it. Yeah. And um, <laughs> that's still gutting. I mean, I, to be fair, I do generally sell stuff. I don't now this great age. So in other words, you kind of put your heart out there with, the, with the authors. Of course I yeah, yeah. You know, And it's quite, you know, I feel the pain quite badly if yeah. I have something that I think is really good. Just imagine how they feel. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and I mind, you know, it took me a while to sell Jim Younger. And, you know, every rejection you feel, it's like it's, it's like you're putting your kids on the stage in yeah, a way. Yeah. Because uh, my own reputation's on the line. I'm not saying that in a sort of grand way. But, um, yeah, you, it's, it's nice for people to agree with you. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's, it's acknowledgement that, yeah. that you're... Yeah. You but know, it's, a tough, it's a tough world at the moment, and there are a lot of people fighting to get published. Yeah, well, even more so. I mean, it's, uh, the number of bloggers out there now no, is just no, ex exactly. extraordinary, which... Which is not a bad thing. I mean, it's just that there's that so much more dross to filter through. To absolutely, you know, and that's again, I, I harken back to the remark about the, the people like me or people like you, or that can get uh, readers, potential readers, to be aware, just simply to be aware of these of, of mm -hmm. these talents. Speaking of which, uh, there's a poet in Montreal that I just love, and uh, he's quite young. I want to champion him. I interviewed him a while back. He's come up with these things called pseudo-haikus, and they're short little blurbs, and they're just... Uh, I can't read them without falling to pieces with laughter. They're very Rabelaisian. And do you feel like Ezra Pound or Eliot, you know, trying to discover someone and then push them mm -hmm. on? I mean, that, that is, there's yeah, a certain absolutely. ego... Oh, there's no, a certain there is. There is. Well, I mean, there's a, there is an absolutely, uh, you know, proselytizing tendency yeah. that yeah. I want to... And when I take on something new or I take on a writer new uh, that I think is completely wonderful and different, yeah, I mean, I want to bore the pants off everybody. There is one, there's another author you, should, you can add to your list of people who are going to be great in the future. 
and, and that's a woman called Louise Dean, who is a very, very extraordinary young writer. D-E-A-N? Yeah. yeah. Well, the, the people you've provided so far, Peter yeah. Hobbs, Adam Thurwell, Phil LaMarche, and Louise Dean, they've all been published by recognizable publishers, um, have they? Phil LaMarche has not yet been published. The others have, yeah. So, in other words, if we Googled them and... We found out about them. Then uh, we'd be able to purchase their books. Yes. Okay. Very good. Just in closing, obviously, it's quite an emotional thing, it seems to me, just the way you've described it, the connection that you make with these these authors, uh, to varying degrees, I would imagine. Mm. Uh, Who do you love the most and why? I, I can't answer that question. Who, who knows who's going to be listening to your... You mean, which of my authors do I love the most? Yeah. Well, I, I love a lot of them. I like I like. Why, why couldn't you... What, what was your concern about answering well, the question? Well, I don't know that I do love one more than anyone else. That's No, I, I mean, we all... that Everyone's unique, so... We yeah, don't. they are, and, you know, they all have their own... But you must have some favourites, or at least some that you're friendlier with than others, and if, uh, and if so... But, you know, this is... There's an element of discretion that needs to come into these things. I can't, I couldn't, as they say, begin to say. But I, I'm fond of all my clients, and I think of all of them, although they are indeed, you know, my clients. The relationship only works well when one is working also as a friend for them and a supporter. And actually, I don't represent anybody who I'm not fond of. If a relationship isn't working, there's a way of easing oneself out of it, you know. And um, that's what one's learned to do over the years, really. Uh, why are you so fond of whomever? Well, like, you, you, could you just give us a you few. Give, you, you go through the like ups Ian and downs. Like Ian McEwen, for example. Well, I why mean, would you Deborah, so? Deborah, Deborah represents Ian McEwen. Okay, so what about, what about yours, though? But, I mean, I, people I've been with from the very beginning, one or two writers who I've taken on from the, very, from the earliest days, are people where you've seen their careers gradually get... I mean, there's a... There's a Two, two women writers, I guess. One is Philippa Gregory. She's very commercial, um, literary commercial writer. Another writer, a man called Edward Rutherford, who's huge. Um, London, he, right? Yeah, London. and these are, these are people I've represented from their earliest days. Um, and nothing... So, of course, I'm incredibly fond of them. I mean, they're like my family, really, because, you know, as their success has come, slowly one's been not only part of it, but, you know, party to it and um, partly responsible for creating it. So you, you build up a very great friendship with these people and, you, you know, because you've had your ups and downs together. It's a, it's a wonderful job to do, I have to say. Although it is, uh, at times, uh, quite overwhelming because there are a lot of people in my life and in my head in the middle of the night. There are a lot of people whose I suppose careers are going around one's mind. I uh, just recently have... Uh decided to set up a, a charity called Writers Against Suicide. I'm wondering if you could help me with that. Um, in what way? Well, what I want to do is uh, I want to uh, interview writers about, simply because suicide and depression affects, obviously, the artistic temperament more than the rest of the population, but to uh, talk to different writers, and I've already started to do so, about um, about their struggles with suicide, how they've been able to get through it, and uh, advice they might be able to give, because there is an epidemic in Canada, particularly young yes, young men. Um, I mean, I'm certainly aware. I'm not. I don't have any authors that are, that have been through that. No. 
But it's interesting because Julia Blackburn, who's a wonderful writer who I've just recently taken on, she's moved to me from another agent. She's writing about her father now, who was a poet who committed suicide. And uh, I mean, certainly people will write about it. Yeah, I mean, if I can help in some way. Yeah, I'm just uh, all I'm thinking is it would be wonderful to, uh, to to basically do the interviews, put them up on a site so that uh, anyone could listen to them anytime as mm. uh, as a way mm. of uh, some sort of support and a way of also generating uh, some donations for uh, yeah. suicide prevention. I mean, you know, that's the thing I was saying earlier about uh, it's a lonely job for being a writer. It's quite a lonely job. Exactly. Good. Well, thank you Not so much. Uh, it's very nice to meet you. Thank you. Likewise, Jill, <laughs> Jill Coleridge, and she is related, is a literary agent with Rogers, Coleridge, and White, and they have probably the premier list of authors in the world, as <laughs> I can see. Thanks again. Well, thank you. Bye.